Hello, friends, and welcome to Her Mighty Surrender. This is Therese Picola. Thank you so much to the people who have been listening to the podcast so far and and giving me great um, inspiration and feedback. I really appreciate you, and I am grateful for your support, and I hope that we can continue to reach many people through this podcast. Um, Today, I'm going to take some time to give you a little bit of my background, um, how I came to have to go through uh, exorcism. And we're going to break this down. There's a lot to unpack. So so I think first well, the summary and then in future episodes, I will go into further detail about particular topics and, and how we can better um, protect ourselves and our children and certain warning signs and things of that nature. Um, but before I get started, I do want to pray. I know I brought this up in my welcome episode, and I and, and it's very important for me that we start every um, podcast uh, episode with prayer. So let's begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, united with your mystical body, the Church, and in union with all the choirs of angels in heaven, we gather to praise, adore, and glorify you. Before time you existed co-eternal with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Through you all things were created, the seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. The cosmos and all it contains was created by the Father through you and in the Holy Spirit. Nothing would exist without you, and nothing remains in being without you. You alone have dominion over every created thing. To you, then, our Lord and Master, we raise our voices in prayer and supplication. Watch over us. Keep us safe in your care. By your power over all things, render deaf, dumb, blind, and utterly impotent any and all evil spirits who would seek to harm us. By the power of your most precious blood, purify and sanctify us, this podcast, and all who hear it. Grant that the words, thoughts, ideas, and movements of our hearts shared in this program may glorify you, the one true God, and help us grow in virtue and holiness. Heavenly Father, your boundless, relentless love for us is made manifest in the incarnation of Jesus, your Son. Through him you have expiated our sins and claimed us as your own. Please hear and grant our prayers offered to you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, again, thank you for joining me. Um, And please forgive me, but my voice is still a little raspy. I seem to have caught a cold, just a cold. <laughs> I know it's it's one of those things that's so touchy to talk about these days, even if we catch little sniffles. Um, but forgive me if I if I cough or sound a little hoarse. Um, so today, like I said, I would like to spend some time just giving you a little bit of my background, um, who I am, where I came from. So <clears throat> I think it's important first to point out that I was conceived out of wedlock. And while that's not an absolutely earth-shattering, terrible thing and doesn't cause someone to be possessed, of course. Um, The news of my mother's pregnancy was not well-received in the families. Um, I think this is important to point out because even in the womb, there was the beginning of abandonment with me. Um, And I would learn this much later, 
Um, not something that was obvious to me, but that feeling of being nurtured and loved and wanted um, was somewhat lacking from the beginning. So after I was born, um, there was a change of heart, <laughs> thankfully, with with our families, and um, and and I was received into the family and and loved. And um, another thing to point out is. While both of my parents were Catholic, cradle Catholics, they weren't practicing at the time. And um, they were civilly married um, soon after I was born, but did not get married in the church for many years later. Um, I was not baptized until I was six years old. In fact, I do remember my baptism. Um, I was baptized with my brother and my sister at the same time. Um, I I. I don't know. I sometimes have mixed feelings about that. And, and at six years old, some of the things that kind of were already happening in my life and, and, um, I don't know, it's just been a weird, uh, a weird, um, disconnect for me in, in my life. But, but anyway, I was baptized, um, soon after that time, um, I was sexually abused, um, twice I was abused and assaulted. Um, when I was assaulted, I was assaulted by two teenagers from the neighborhood, um, I never told my parents, um, which is really shocking to me thinking now, um, with children of my own, how devastated I would be, um, if I had found out that something like this had happened to them and they didn't feel that they could come to me. But for, um, whatever reason, I felt afraid and embarrassed. Uh, I was very ashamed, very heavy sense of being ashamed. Um, I failed. I was a bad daughter. Um, I deserved it. Um, these are all feelings I, I had to work through even at that young age. Um, I think it drove me to become a bit of a liar. Um, I, because first I lied about this and I thought, well, if I have to lie about this, I can certainly lie about other things. Um, so I, it was almost like I was creating this false identity even back then, lying about um, myself to my friends and, and making up lies about my family, like trying to make myself... Um, better than I was, um, like this, this, this image of this person who, who was, you know, nearly perfect and had this perfect family life. Um, meanwhile, that's not what was happening. Um, I was really, um, suffering inside. There were times and, and again, a lot of this came out through, through later on through my exorcisms and, and therapy, but there were times as a child, I remember sitting in my closet in the dark, um, just um hiding hiding and fantasizing um about being taken away by some man who was going to take care of me now i was fantasizing about these things at 7 8 9 years old um which is really to me very disordered um i would dream about falling in love and 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 i know girls do this but but it was um it was abnormal it was it was excessive and obsessive um, and just cry and cry and cry. And I never even knew why I was crying. Um, but I would just, just continually cry and feel completely isolated, um, and broken. And, um, sadly, this is what happens through abuse. And especially when it's not, um, when it's not dealt with, um, you know, those feelings build up and the evil one uses that, not that abuse is ever our fault, but he uses those insecurities and that weakness to find other ways to make his way in. And, um, 
And there are very, very um, dark demons attached to those things, um, sexual abuse, pornography and such. And we won't, we won't name that here, but just, just be aware that that's, those are very, um, very high up demons. So, so this is what was happening in my early years. Um, I, I can't say that my childhood was completely horrible and terrible because I was very blessed to have, um, especially one friend in particular who I was very close to and, and her family kind of took me in and and we did so much together and they would take me on summer vacations with them. And it's such a wonderful memory for me of my childhood. And I feel like it was a reprieve that God gave me, um, to have some of those memories. But as far as being as a young, innocent girl and playing with dolls and, and things of that nature, that really wasn't me. And what kind of compounded that was my, my family, coming from a large Italian family, you know, everyone has a lot to say and a lot of opinions. And, and my extended family always um, told me how mature I was for my age. I looked mature. I was developed very young. Um, They would always say, you know, you're such a grown up, you're, you know, and, and so they spoke these things into my life. And while I know they didn't mean harm by it, what that told me was that I'm a grown up. And even though I'm, you know, 10, 11 years old at this point, I'm a grown up. And so I need to behave that way. So, um, so when I did, um, enter into this experience of, um, thinking I was going into a relationship at 13, um, which later was determined to be rape because this man was 19 and, um, and when we were together, that's all that was happening is there was sexual activity and, and, um, intercourse and such. But, um, so when, but that, when that first started, I thought, oh, I'm, I'm a grown up. I'm mature. I can handle this. This person wants me and desires me. And in my mind, I had created this, um, idea that this was normal. And, um, and so it just was prolonged for, for like a year and a half. And, um, only much later did I realize that that person took, took away so much of my innocence, you know, my innocence had already been taken, but he further took it and he was a bad man. He, he was molesting young boys at the time. And I didn't, I didn't know this. And when I did find this out, I somehow thought that that was normal. I, again, these lies that just kept, um, funneling through and, um, and I just had such a false perception of reality and sexuality at this point. Um, so that when that finally ended, and really by the grace of God, it ended because um, I was sent to a school that was, was 30 minutes from my home and therefore separating me from this um, this situation. And then that person went on to do whatever he did afterwards. Um, so, but because of this, I walked into, um, high school at this point, um, sexually active, um, and promiscuous and thinking it's completely acceptable to have these relationships with boys. And so I never had a normal dating relationship. It was always very quickly pushed into, um, sexual activity because in my mind, a person didn't care about you or love you if they didn't want to have a physical relationship with you. And so, um, this was normal. This was completely normal to me. And so, um, unfortunately this led me to become pregnant when I was, um, 17 years old. 
And again, instead of going to my parents, because I didn't go to them about the rape either, um, again, ashamed, afraid, embarrassed, um, instead of going to my parents when I became pregnant, I thought I, I just have to take care of this by myself. I, I was self-reliant, which again is, is an oppression. And, and I thought I, no one's going to fix this for me. I have to fix it for myself because you know what? Nobody fixed those other things for me. Nobody saved me from being abused. Nobody saved me from being raped. Nobody stood up, even though they didn't know in my mind, I thought I am the only one who can handle this. Not God, not my parents, just me. And this is a lie. This is a lie of the evil one. He wants you to think you're alone and that you have control of yourself and nobody else can help you. Um, Such a terrible lie that so many of us live with um, in many parts of our lives. So here I am pregnant. I, I go to a Planned Parenthood and I think I, I don't even know what I'm doing. I mean, I know pregnancy. I, I get the idea that people have babies, but I was so naive um, for someone who thought they were so grown up. I was so naive. I was so naive that I went to Planned Parenthood in my school uniform. Um, I was in a private school and I showed up there in my school uniform. You would think that that would be a signal to these people. Oh, something's not right here. But no, they gladly accepted me in and we went through the steps very quickly. Um, I mean, I was back there, I think maybe in a week. There's a lot I don't remember. Praise God, he's kind of blocked some of it. And um, I don't remember the exact timing and details, but I know it was very quickly I was back and and had my abortion and um, remember very small little pieces. The, the one thing that just stood in my memory and still does to this day is coming out into the waiting room after, well, they called it the recovery room, which is a joke in itself to think about what that word means. But but they put me there and there's other girls and women in there. Nobody was sitting near each other. We were all kind of spaced out. They give you a cup of orange juice and all you can hear is like sniffling, sniffling. There's no eye contact. There's no conversation. And I think even now to this day for something that's become so quote normalized, why is it that nobody spoke to each other? Nobody smiled or made eye contact or said, are you okay? Because it's wrong. And, and at our core, even when we go through with something like this, inside, we know this is wrong, but we, we don't know how to maybe the, the fear or, or the stress of the moment or the selfishness, we block that out. But even then, it's like our soul is saying, this is wrong. Look at, look at, look at how wrong this is for us to, to be in this place. Anyway, so, so, I didn't realize that the changes in my behavior as time went forward from this from this um, time of my abortion that that came from like as a direct effect of my abortion and I and I wouldn't really learn this till many many years later but the self loathing I mean and I know people can connect with this and we will talk about this in another episode but this deep self loathing like I just wanted to die I just wanted to die and to back up and, and I didn't bring this up and, and I will address this in other, um, another episode probably, but I was suicidal, um, several times throughout my life. And, um, this was another time where, and I did try twice, um, thank the Lord. Um, I was saved and spared, um, but came very close. And, um, and this would just be another time of that deep self-loathing and hatred of myself that, then um, spun me into an eating disorder. Um, I just, 
I had no control over everything. So I thought if I take, if I take these laxatives, if I make myself throw up, at least I can control that. At least I can control what comes in and out of my body. Since I can't control who's touched my body, how I've behaved, the things I've done wrong. Um, all the while, never, never turning to God. Because now at this point, I believe God can't stand me. That he barely can tolerate me. Because look at this disgusting child. Look at this this child who has just had no regard for herself, no regard for privacy, no regard for, for the beauty of her femininity. I mean, these are all the lies that I was fed that God just just tolerated me. And um, anything that would go wrong from this point forward, in my mind, I believed that it was punishment. And so... Later, when I would um, meet my my husband, and then we would get married, and then pornography entered our marriage, and then I had um, a miscarriage, all of these things that would happen, I believed that it was because God was punishing me, as if to say to me, you know something, Therese, you can't complain, because look, I've at least let you live, but but these things, this is punishment for the way that you've behaved. This is punishment for the way you've treated yourself. And never, um, because I had no identity in Christ. I, I didn't know who I was supposed to be. And, and I think looking back, I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever learned who I was as a, as a child of God, as, as someone beloved in his um, creation. I, I I never even had that experience. So, you know, when someone would say, oh, God loves you and, and things like that, I would say, you know, what does that even mean? Like, I don't even know what that means to be to for God to love me. He, he could barely even look at me, let alone love me. Lies, lies, lies of the evil one. Um, and it just goes on and on, you know, and, and, you know, I know there's people who relate to this and I know um, you've been fed those lies at one point in your life, too, probably. Um, so yes, here I am, um, dealing with, with all these things after my abortion, really sinking. Um, I meet my husband, we get married, beautiful faith, faith filled man just came back on fire to the church. His, his family, um, is, um, his mother is a strong Catholic. I'm exposed to like the Catholic world again. Um, and he says to me, you know, um, before, you know, when we first started dating, I told him probably, I think it's the first or second phone call um, about my abortion because I just figured, let me tell him now because as soon as I tell him, he's going to be like, okay, see ya, you're, you're out of control. And he didn't. Instead, he listened. He didn't agree. Um, I, I knew it was painful for him to hear it. And he said, when's the last time you've been to confession? And I thought, oh goodness, I, I don't even know. So he was able to um, convince me to go. And um, God is so good. I, I had a beautiful priest um, who I just dumped on. Now, here I am in confession and I'm thinking, you know, all this other stuff doesn't matter. I'm just going to tell him about my abortion and that's going to fix everything. And of course, that's not how it works because that wasn't the only sin. Um, and what I didn't acknowledge, and, and I guess what I should backtrack and say is, is another thing after, after my abortion, um, and I had a curiosity 
I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the occult in, 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 this t- in this episode, but I will say there was a curiosity that started early on with the occult um, to the point where we were doing these seances um, as young children. I, I think I was maybe eight or nine years old and things did happen there and there were some other things that occurred. And then after, um, after my abortion, I became even more kind of obsessed with it because it was a way to disconnect from reality. Um, and this was again, building that false identity and in a reality that was separate from this ugly reality I was dealing with. So there was, um, exposure to tarot cards and some other things. Um, that's kind of been woven throughout my life. Um, there was a very terrible cemetery I used to spend time in, not, again, not having any idea that this was all attached to a cult. Um, and we'll really spend some time digging into that, um, in an episode devoted to that. But I just want to give you some, some background that there was a lot of occult activity happening, um, that I had no idea I needed to confess. So I went in and thought, okay, if I can kind of just get rid of this abortion thing that's attached to me, then all this other stuff will just, you know, somehow fix itself and get better. Well, that's not how it works. And um, so here I was really not fully um, living in God's graces still um, and not even realizing that I wasn't. So it, it was this again, this falsehood, I'm, I'm now here I am. Hey, I'm, I'm a good Catholic again. And look at me and I'm going to pray the rosary and I'm going to go to first Saturday masses and I'm going to um, dress appropriately and be this person. But interiorly, I was still like this complete, um, tarry, broken, um, like wounded person that needed God so desperately and didn't even know it. So, um, so yes, so, so we get married and now we're dealing with a pornography issue that my husband had brought into the marriage. And here I am again saying, okay, God, I deserve this because here I am this terrible person. So yep. Pornography. Great. Miscarriage. Yep. My fault. You know, I'm lucky that I have any kids because I took the life of my child. So I don't deserve any children. So the fact that you've given me children, God, at this point is miraculous. But if you want to take one because now I'm going to miscarry, well, I deserve that. This is the brain of someone who, who's going through these traumas and, and who's being influenced by the evil one. And I say this so explicitly because I want this to, to sink into to someone who might be having this experience and realize you do not have to live this way. God did not intend you to live this way. God loves you. God wants to give you his mercy. God wants to bring you back to, to him. He wants to love you. Um, and these lies that the evil one feeds us are, are just that. They're lies. And we need to break them. So um, we have children. Everything is fine. I go on to have numerous dreams about the evil one. And I'm thinking it's because I'm back in church and I'm, I'm a good Catholic wife and mother, and he's just trying to attack me. Never in my mind did I think it was maybe a a different reason. Um, then, um, kind of fast forward, my, my son was going through these terrible nightmares. Um, I mean, um, I, 
horrible is all I, I don't even want to say them because I don't want to give any, any credit, um, to the evil one, but they were just terrible, terrifying, terrible. I started having nightmares again when he was having nightmares, we were getting attacked, attacked, attacked. So we, what do we do? We have the house blessed and I'm thinking everything gets better. The house is blessed. Um, but I'm not changing and I'm not fixing my, my interior. So that's really not changing the, um, the surrounding, um, the exterior, you know? So, um, so fast forward, the nightmares go away. Then eventually they come back for my son very bad. And at this point we realize something, something's not right. And because we were connected to a lot of priests at the time and, um, and different things. And I was, I had been homeschooling because again, I'm the good Catholic wife and mother. So I'm going to homeschool my children. (laughs) Um, yeah. Um, so, so we go to this priest who, who we know very well and he speaks with my son and he realizes you need to go talk to the exorcist. So here we are bringing my son and I'm thinking, oh yeah, this is definitely, we got to fix him. And after going, um, I think it was the second or third time we're sitting in a healing mass and as father is going through all these renunciations, I just get triggered and start just uncontrollably sobbing. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? You know, I must be really sensitive. I must be, you know, sad for my son. I want him to heal. Oh, you know, again, lies, lies, lies. But there was this defining moment at towards the end of mass when for the first time that I recall, because I think it's happened, but I just didn't recognize it. I hear the Holy Spirit interiorly. Um, it's hard to explain what that sounds like because it's not a sound, but it's an interior um, um, sound like in the heart. Say, it's you. And I thought, what? And, and he said, it's you. And I thought, oh my gosh. And then there was this immediate um, just um, anxiety. And I thought, I have to, I have to say something. You know, he said, you know, basically counseled me, you have to, you have to tell them right now. Now, when I say them, it was um, the therapist that deals um, with cases of spiritual warfare, the priest, they're all, we're all at this mass together. So immediately, as soon as mass ends, I turn to the therapist and I say, it's me. And she kind of looks at me and she says, what? And I said, it's me. I think it's me. And I knew if I hadn't said it at that moment, I was going to put it aside and just pretend that never happened. And by the grace of God and truly the grace of God and my guardian angel and the Holy Spirit, those words came out and that's what opened the door to um, discovering where I was. And um, that would lead to 18 months or so of major spiritual warfare almost 40 exorcisms, um, a complete conversion, um, a beautiful relationship, the ending of a terrible relationship. And I'm going to stop here. And I'm sorry, I don't mean this to be a cliffhanger, but I do believe that this episode, I really wanted you to have a little bit of the history so that when we, when we walk into the months ahead, that you have an, a little bit of an idea of where I'm coming from. Now, like I said at the beginning, there's a lot to unpack here. I, 
I've skimmed over um, these areas of my life to give you an overview of where there's some doors that can be opened through sexuality, pornography, the occult, um, you know, you know, just various things. And so I, I want people to start kind of thinking about that in your lives. What, where are there some doors I might be opening? And I'm not saying you're close to where I was. I'm not saying you're possessed. God willing, nobody is. Um, but we do have oppressions. We do have obsessions. The evil one is constantly like nipping at us. So I, I want you to kind of put that in your minds as we, um, move forward into some of the coming episodes where I will talk about um, the experience that I went through and then also um, unpack some of these things in my life leading up to it. Um, so so I'm going to stop here and I thank you. Um, thank you so much for listening. I know this is a little bit long this time. Um, I, I hope that you have entered in prayer and that um, that you are um, allowing the Holy Spirit to, to really speak to you through this um, and, and I pray that, um, you will continue to pray for protection for yourself, for your children, your family, your spouses, siblings, parents, all that. Um, and let's just, um, end quickly, um, in prayer in the name of the father and the son and the Holy spirit. Amen. Glory be to the father and to the son and to the Holy spirit as it was in the beginning is now and ever shall be world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, friends, God bless you.